In, in case you didn't know, you live on a deserted island or you just don't watch TV, um, Shark Week was last week, all right? And, um, and it, was, it was insane. Um, some of the ones, they kind of regurgitate the show the same time every year. But they're very strategic because here's the deal. It's the end of the summer. We're back in school. We're back into, you know, like our time at the beach is a, is a distant memory. And then we watch Shark Week. So it's like, oh, man, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't allow me to get mauled by a shark when I was at rush camp or on the, you know, on vacation with my family or whatever. So if it was like, if they played that the first of the summer, then all of a sudden we're freaking out because we're going to the beach the next week and we don't step foot inside the water because we're paranoid. So they do a really good job of making sure it's at the end of the summer so you're just thankful that you weren't shark bait. Um, but I love it. <laughs> I love it. In case you guys didn't see, there was a, last week they showed one um, series and it was something, I don't remember the exact name of it, it was like My Close Encounter with Jaws or I Survived Jaws or something like that. And maybe some of you guys saw it. But here's the whole premise of the show, all right? They spent an hour interviewing and talking to people who, gotten, who had been uh, bitten by a shark or who almost were, in a, were attacked by a shark. And so they're telling their real-life story of how they came face-to-face with Jaws and lived to tell about it. And they interviewed one guy who was a surfer. He was like a 15-year-old um, surfer dude and uh, had the blonde hair and everything. He was a typical surfer. No offense, surfers. So typical surfer, and here's the deal. Here's what he was talking about. He's interviewing about his close encounter, not with just one great white shark, but with two great white sharks. And they actually, to freak you out even more, they had actual footage from the beach of him out there on a surfboard catching a wave. And all of a sudden, in the picture, you see a shark on the right and a shark on the left come up out of the water and attack him on the surfboard. And I have, I mean, you see the, like the sharks jumping out and they grab a seal, and that's cool for like 20 minutes, and then you're like, it's just a seal, who cares? But when you watch sharks come out of the water to, with your very own eyes, eat another human being, that is freaked out. So I'm sitting here watching it, Guy comes, you know, he's surfing, he's loving life, and these two sharks come out of the water and try to maul him. And what's interesting about the story is you watch in the picture as the surfboard goes flying up in the air. He, goes, he gets tossed up in the air. His legs are up over, uh, above his head. He's upside down through the air, and he comes and lands headfirst into the water. And at that point, as the story goes, he's sitting there hanging out. He's watching around, looking for the sharks. And believe it or not, and this is why he, 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 um, he survived, and it makes it a good story, is out of nowhere, this wave came and washed him away from the sharks and up to shore. So imagine, I mean, put yourself in this guy's shoes. You're hanging out, you know, you're at rush camp, and you're swimming out in the ocean, and these two sharks come out of the water, and they're ready to maul you. And what's amazing about this story, and the two things that are important to understand about why he survived, number one was the movement of the surfboard, all right, and the movement of the wave that he was on. If he was just sitting there, you know, doggy paddling or floating along in the water, he would have been toast. But the fact that he was on the surfboard catching a wave in that moment where the sharks came helped save his life. 
The other thing that made it important and, and allowed him to survive was that second wave as he's kind of, you know, in that moment of terror, looking around, trying to figure out where both the sharks are. This wave comes and washes him up to shore into safety. See, his survival was about movement. What allowed that story to not be a story of how he was eaten alive by a shark, but where he survived was the fact that there was movement involved. Now, when you think of the word movement, or more specifically, when you think of move, the word move, what kind of thoughts come to your mind? And you don't have to, you don't have to answer out loud, but think in your, in your mind. What do you think of when you think of the word move? Because I think there's a, there's a lot of things that maybe come into our mind. When we think of move, there's all kinds of different things that we might think about or dwell on or, or focus on. Um, maybe if, if we've been talking about sports a little bit tonight, maybe you're into sports. All right? So when you think about sports, movement in sports is, is huge. Right? I mean, think about, have you ever, what game, can, what sporting event, what sporting event can you play that involves standing still and not moving anywhere. Right? Every sport, every sport that you play involves movement or you will suck at that sport. All right? And you will be on the bench and then there won't be any movement. So movement is involved in sports. Now when you think of sports, maybe you think of moving the ball down the field. All right? Like my main man, RG3 here. Who, hold on, go back, go back one, go back one. Now, let's just pause here and, and focus on this man. This is my boy here, all right? I'm a Redskin fan. Don't hate on me. About, mid, about mid-December, we're coming to Atlanta, and we're gonna, he's going to terrorize the Falcons, all right? Today, he was at training camp. He's back to full health. He's ready to terrorize the NFL again. It's going to be amazing, all right? So maybe when you think of movement, you think of a guy like RG3 moving the ball down the field. All right? Maybe you think of the movement of the actual ball, all right? Throwing the ball through the air, kicking it along the ground, or in this case, pitching it. Maybe you think of this kind of movement, the movement of the ball. Now, this, there needs to be some movement involved in the batter, or he's going to be in big trouble. But there's movement involved in sports. Maybe when you think of the word move, you think of people, movement of people. All right. Maybe you think you're walking down the road. There's a bunch of pedestrians, uh, New York City. You know, walking across a, a a traffic stop or a stoplight, or walking down the street on the way to work. Maybe you think of movement of people. All right. Maybe you think somebody walking, going for a jog or going for a walk. Um, now, in this in this lady's case. She, um, she's got some serious issues here. Either she loves her dog way too much or she doesn't give a rip about her dog. And I honestly can't figure out which one it is because that looks like animal cruelty right there. And I have no idea what she's thinking, but maybe you're an animal lover and this either really makes you mad or you're like, oh my gosh, I would totally do that. I would put my dog on my butt and go for a walk around the neighborhood. Please don't do that, all right? And if you do, please, please tweet it, all right, at WRC Reckless, and you'll be a star the next week. So maybe you think of movement of people, somebody walking from one point to another. Now, maybe you think of um, relationships. 
all right? Dating relationships with that guy or the girl, all right? And maybe you've heard the phrase, put the move on her or put the move on him. And, um, and that's exactly what's going on right now in that picture. So this is, hey, just know when this, when this kid gets to high school, he's playing all the girls in high school, all right? It starts off right here. If you wonder how it started, ladies, it started with him making out with baby dolls when he was two. All right? But maybe you think of, maybe you think of, you know, moving in on that guy or that girl, relationships, you know, taking a step of faith, being courageous, asking her out, movement involved in, in dating relationships, all right? Maybe you think of, when it comes to relationships, what happens when, you know, a relationship ends? We say we've decided to move on, right? So, I know, so sad. So that moment comes, true love did not last forever. You guys decide, hopefully over a, an adult conversation face-to-face, you decided to part ways and to move on. Hopefully it wasn't over a text message or something like that. But when it comes to relationships, sometimes we reach that point where we decide to move on. And then we, you know, listen to Taylor Swift and write a song about it or whatever. And then we feel better. So maybe that's what we think about. Maybe, maybe you're into science. Maybe you're into, you know, earthy stuff and, and that kind of thing. And you think of... Um, animals migrating or birds migrating, all right? You think of birds moving south to the winter, all right? And then moving from wherever they are further south in order to survive. See, regardless of what you think about when it comes to the word move or movement, we all have our ideas in mind. Now, here's what I want us to understand tonight. Movement is key to success, Movement is vital for survival. If something does not move, it becomes stagnant. And if something becomes stagnant, it dies. Now, the same is true when it comes to our faith, our spiritual lives. If we choose not to move, if we choose not to grow, then we will be stagnant in our faith. And if you think about stagnant faith, I mean, stagnant faith is really not faith at all. A relationship with Jesus that is stagnant and not growing really isn't much of a relationship at all. See, movement is important. Movement is vital in order for us to succeed in life, for us to survive, for us to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish. Now, one of the definitions of move means to advance. It means to advance, to move from one place to another. And I I want all of us to understand, this year, I believe, this is a year about movement. This is a year about us going someplace incredible, about experiencing some unbelievable things. About all of us being on this thing together, being in motion in movement, on the move, in order to experience what God wants us to experience. But it involves advancement. When we talk about move, that's what it means, is to advance from one place to another. 
It's about putting our feet in motion and our faith in action. And see, here's what, what I want us to understand. The movement that we're talking about this year involves all of us. Not just a select few of us, not just the really spiritual students, not just the ones that take it really seriously or the ones that sit on, on the front row because they're good Christians. Not just those students, but the movement that we're talking about this year involves all of us. But even greater than that and more importantly than that, the movement we're talking about this year involves God. This is something that is much bigger than us. This is something that is not just limited to us in the room. It involves something and someone more specifically that is more powerful and more significant than any of us. That this is a movement that involves God. Now, you may ask, why are we so concerned about movement this year? Why is this such a big deal? I mean, why is it such a big deal? We're doing a series called On the Move. Why does it really matter? Why is it so significant that you and I this year are on the move? And here's what I would say, and I want all of you guys to understand this. The reason that it involves us, the reason it's so significant for all of us to be on the move is because God is on the move. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. The picture of God being on the move. How many of you guys have ever come to a place where you've wondered if God is there, if God is distant, that God is unconcerned with the details of your life, that God is, is sort of out there somewhere and he's uninvolved and doesn't take much action? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you guys have thought in your own life, man, I gotta, you just seem like you don't care. You just seem like you're out there somewhere and you, you're uninvolved. You, you are completely uncaring. You don't know the details of my life. Or if you do, you're not doing a whole lot about it. And I think if, if a lot of us, if we were honest enough in the room tonight, I think there's a lot of us that have, have been through times in our life where we felt that way. And maybe there are some of you in the room right now in this moment that you feel that. When you think of God, as we were singing earlier and as we're talking now, you think of the idea of God being on the move. You just kind of scoff at that and you go, man, that's a foreign idea to me. I've never actually seen that or experienced that for myself. Maybe there's some of you guys in the room tonight that feel that that's the way that God is, that he's distant, he's unconcerned with your life. But I want to read a verse to you that I think is so incredible and so significant. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what the prophet Zechariah says. He's telling the people, he says this, Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he, meaning God, is springing into action from his holy dwelling. Now, I love how the message version puts this. Here's what it says. It says, quiet everyone, shh, silence before God. Something's afoot in his holy house. He's on the move. And I cannot think, as I've been chewing on this and praying about this and, and looking at verses like this, there is, I can't think of something that is more incredible, more significant than the thought and the idea of God the creator being on the move. I mean, I think about that and I'm like, man, that blows me away. That is such an incredible idea and thought. 
that there is a God out there who created everything and he's on the move. He's working, he's moving. Now, there might be some of you guys that just, you go, you know what, I just don't believe it. I don't believe that's the case. But what if it is? What if that is true of God? See, I think we have to understand and really be able to know what is truth and what is not when it comes to this. Because if it's not true that God isn't on the move and God is distant or doesn't even exist in the first place, then fine. Go about your lives, do what you want to do. But if there is a God who is on the move, then that changes everything. That changes everything. And see, the picture that these verses is painting and the picture that the, the Bible as a whole paints is not that picture of God being distant and unconcerned and uninvolved in our lives. It paints a much different picture of a God who loves us, who created us, who goes to such incredible lengths to know us and to have a relationship with us. See, the picture that the Bible paints is much, much different than that thought and that idea of God being distant. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says some incredible words that I think we've got to understand and, and kind of wrap our mind around. Here's what it says. And if you have your Bibles, you want to open up to it. We've got it in your notes, uh, in your lap. Here's what it says. John chapter 1, starting at verse 10. It says, he, meaning Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So the word, meaning Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read verses like that, that paints a picture of a God who is on a rescue mission. That paints a picture of an incredible God who is working and moving and at work. That he is not distant. He is not uninvolved in our lives. He doesn't just stand back and go, hey, you know what? You guys have gotten yourselves in a pretty thick mess here. So I'm just going to sit back and watch as you guys just try to figure this thing out. See, these verses talk about an, an incredible God who comes on a rescue mission for you and for me that looks at our life and he looks at our world and he sees the sin and he sees the brokenness and he knows the hopelessness that we feel in our lives a lot. And rather than stepping away and going, you know what, you guys just figure out your mess yourself. God jumps into the thick of our mess and he does something about it. That God created us and he loved us enough that rather than just allowing us to continue down that destructive path, God stepped into the scene and he sent his son to become flesh, to become human. As the message version uses that, he took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. And it's such a picture, again, of God being on the move, of God leaving heaven and sending his son into our world to rescue us and to redeem us. 
and that Jesus came onto the scene in order to, to pay for our, our sacrifice or to be our sacrifice, to take on the punishment and the penalty for our sins so that you and I could be forgiven. That Jesus went to such incredible lengths so that you and I couldn't stand back and go, man, God, you don't care, you're uninvolved, but rather we could look and go, man, God, you did that for me. God, you're on the move. You came and you rescued me. You offered me forgiveness. You offered me salvation. And God, you came to fix the broken relationship that sin had caused between you and me, and you repaired it through the cross. You took on my punishment so that I could be forgiven, and ultimately so that my relationship with God could be restored and brought back together. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God that's on the move that has come to rescue us and to set us free. Now, here's what I want us to understand, and, and then we'll move on. God is on the move. God is on the move in your life. God is on the move in your family. God is on the move on your school campus. God is on the move in your community, in your neighborhood. God is on the move. God is always working, always moving. He never takes a day off. He never rests. He never stops. He's been working since day one. And the goal for him is to bring us into a relationship with him so that we could bring glory back to him. And the incredible thing is that this movement that God wants to stir up, this, this, this action that God is taking involves all of us. And God wants to bring us a part of that and make us a part of that. When, uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be, um, I was big into baseball. I don't know that I was all that good, but I, I love playing. And so my hero on the baseball field growing up was Daryl Strawberry. All right? Now, I need to clarify, on the baseball field, he was my hero. Um, had some issues and that kind of thing, but man... From the time I was a little kid, and I don't know where it started, but I just, I idolized Daryl Strawberry, all right? He played for the New York Mets. He was one of the, the best sluggers in the um, mid-late 80s and then the early 90s. Now, when I say I idolized Daryl Strawberry, here's the deal. I remember vividly standing in my front yard and spending hours trying to be like him on the baseball field, all right? It helped that I threw left-handed like he did. So, I mean, I would try to throw left-handed. I would try to work, watch him the way that he threw the baseball and try to do the same thing. I would spend hours in my front yard watching how he, how he stood. And he always had the bat kind of back behind his head. Just looked super intimidating at the plate like he was going to smoke every pitch that came across the plate. And I remember spending hours like trying to, you know, do everything that Daryl Strawberry did so that I, because I thought in my mind, if I want to be a good baseball player, I've got to do it like he does it. Now, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we can't just say that we love God. If we claim that we love God, we've got to spend time studying God. We've got to understand who Jesus is, the way that he lived, how he loved people, how he served people, the things that he said, the way that he said them. See, if we claim that we love Jesus, then we've got to spend the necessary time understanding who he was and the way that he lived. And it doesn't do enough good just for us to say that we love God or come to Reckless on Wednesday night. We've got to back it up by the way that we live our lives. 
And for us this year, as we're talking about being on this movement and living on the move and understanding who God is and the heart that he has for the world, then we've, if we want to be a part of that too, then we've got to study the way that Jesus loved people when he was on the earth carrying out the mission that God had given him. See, we can't claim that we love Jesus and yet know little to nothing about him. We've got to study the way that he lived. Now, many of us are familiar with the works and the miracles of Jesus, right? Whether you've grown up in church or, you know, this is your first time here and, and you're a non-believer or whatever. Wherever you are in the room tonight, I think for the most part, a lot of us are at least somewhat familiar with, with Jesus and the things that he did. And especially when it came to the miracles that he performed, right? The people that he healed, the incredible things that he did, the fact that he rose from the dead. I mean, all these crazy things that we've heard about him. And in Matthew chapter 14, we read about two of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed. All right, if you want to flip open that real quick, you can. But here's the deal. If you look in Matthew chapter 14, we read two incredible miracles. Number one, we read the feeding of the 5,000. All right, you guys have heard of that. A bunch of people gather around in a field. Disciples are like, hey, Jesus, people are kind of hungry. We should do something about this. So they have five loaves of bread, two fish, and Jesus feeds 5,000 men. And then there were women and children as well. So over 5,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. So Jesus does this incredible miracle. Then hours later, later that night, Jesus does the second incredible miracle that we read in Matthew chapter 14 of him walking on the water. All right, not sure if you've seen that before. That's a pretty big deal. Jesus did that. Disciples are freaked out. He walks out towards them on the ocean with the waves and the storm going. Disciples are freaking out. He uses that as an opportunity to teach the people about faith. So within the context of one chapter, Matthew chapter 14, stay with me. Jesus displays two incredible miracles. But if we're not careful, we will skip over an incredible key detail that's in this passage. Look at Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 13. Right before Jesus fed the 5,000, here's what it says. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news of John's death, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. All right, so right before Jesus is about to perform this incredible miracle, he gets in a boat and he goes off by himself. Now, Jesus wasn't off hanging out by himself. He didn't need, like, Jesus time, and he's just you know, alone with his thoughts or, you know, snapping selfies of himself or whatever. I mean, Jesus is doing something. It's not just that he was alone. What this verse is implying is that Jesus went alone to spend time with God. And then Jesus literally comes down, performs this incredible miracle, the the mission and the ministry that God had given him. Then before Jesus is walking on the water, all right, He had just fed the 5,000, sends the disciples off to get in the boat and go home. Look at what verse 23 says. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there, while he was, was there alone. Now, don't miss the importance of this, guys. As Jesus is carrying out the mission that God had sent him to earth to accomplish and to fulfill, Jesus is spending time with God. He's seeking God. He's pursuing God. 
All right, Jesus was God himself, but Jesus understood that he needed that close connection with God the Father. Jesus understood that as, as he's going to be able to accomplish this incredible mission, he's got to make sure that he's spending time pursuing God the Father and spending time in communion with him. All right, now that's a huge deal for us to understand because we talk about being on the move and carrying out the mission that God's given us, and we've got to be able to model this too. See, if you guys want to, t- if you're taking notes, if you want to write this in, in your notes, Jesus knew that the mission of God couldn't be accomplished without a close connection with God. Jesus was God, and yet as God in the flesh, he understood how desperately he needed God the Father for wisdom and for guidance and for that daily connection. Jesus, as part of his mission, as part of his ministry, understood that it was vital for him to spend time in connection with God the Father. So here's my question to you guys. If Jesus thought that it was important enough to consistently spend time with God, seeking God and maintaining that connection and dependence on God, then why is it that so many of us who claim that we love Jesus feel like we can do without it? Why do so many of us go through life feeling like, you know what, it's not really that big of a deal if I haven't spent much time with God? And maybe it's been days or weeks or months since we've spent any time seeking God and pursuing God. And yet we want to be on the move with God. We want to be a part of this mission that God's called us to. We want to join forces with God. We say that we love God and yet we know little about God. We know little about God because we spend very little time seeking him. And then we wonder why our faith is so stagnant and dry. And then stuff comes into the path, and then we start, sort of wonder, man, God, are you distant? Do you care about me? God, are you even there at all? Because we have refused to maintain that connection with God the Father. We said we love God, but yet we've chosen not to make it a priority in our life to pursue God. And there's no way that we can accomplish the mission of God, and join God on the move if we neglect to spend time seeking God and maintaining that connection with God. It's not a, it can't be an afterthought. It can't be just something that we do from time to time or when we go to rush or on Wednesday night when we show up at Reckless. It's gotta be one of those things that we make a priority every single day. And before we feel like, God, I'm going to go on the move through my, the halls of my, my school campus, and I want you to use me, God, I want you to, to speak through me, and all this kind of stuff, and yet we've, we, for whatever reason, we've refused to, to spend time connecting with Jesus. And Jesus modeled it for us that you can't fulfill the mission of God while refusing to seek a connection with God. I mean, when we boil it down, it it comes to this. To be part of a movement of God, we have to make the top priority our pursuit of God. We have to maintain that connection. We have to pursue Jesus. And here's my challenge as as we close tonight and as we get ready for this year ahead of us. 
I want to challenge all of us to pursue Jesus like we never have before. And I don't mean just, you know, every so often when we get around to it or when we have nothing else to do or our phone dies and so therefore we've got to pick up our Bible. But we make it a priority. We pursue God. That we seek the heart of God like we never have before. Now, some of you guys in this room, I've watched as over the last year, it's been incredible to watch as you guys have grown in your faith. And I could go through the room and point to students. I know small group leaders could point to a lot of you and go, man, I've seen God do some incredible things in your life. And my encouragement to you is don't rest back. Don't sit back and just be comfortable with that. Because I believe that God's only getting started. That you continue to seek God this year. That over the course of this year, that you make that a priority in your life to seek and to pursue Jesus and watch what he's going to do. But there's a lot of us, and let's be honest, in the room tonight, and I've been there too. I mean, we're apathetic. If you look at our faith at this moment, it's stagnant, it's dry, it's boring. We're not going anywhere. I mean, we showed up here, and that's awesome. And I love the fact that you guys are coming. So I'm not trying to discourage you from that. But the challenge for us is, are we growing in our faith or are we stagnant? Because in order for us to experience this movement that I wholeheartedly believe that God is stirring up, if we want to be in on it, it's going to require us to seek the heart of God like we never have before. Not just add it to the list, not just get around to it when we have a chance, but to make it a priority every single day where we seek God like nothing else. And if we do that, I promise you this will be one of the greatest years that we will have experienced in our life. We won't be looking at our faith going, God, are you there? Do you care about me? I don't really see much evidence that you're even around or that you're doing anything. But as we seek the heart of God, God responds. And we will watch as God goes on the move in our heart and in our life. And he reveals himself to us in ways that we have never experienced before. And before we can say that we want to see it out there in our schools and our families or whatever, it's got to start here. And if it doesn't start here, then it won't go out there. It's got to start in here, and it's got to start because all of us say, man, count me in. Jesus, I'm going to pursue you like I never have before, and I'm going to experience you, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do in me and through me. God is on the move. Do you guys believe that? Do you guys believe that? The incredible thing is that God desires to use you and me to help accomplish his purposes. We're not praying for God to be on the move. God's on the move. God's working. God's moving. And he invites us to be a part of it. And it's our choice whether or not we want to continue down this road of stagnant faith and not really experiencing much of God. And then we don't really see much difference in our lives and we never really encounter the presence of God. Or we jump all in and we say, God, I'm going to seek you. And we watch as God blows us away with his presence and his power, not just in our lives, But as he does it in us, he moves through us and does it in the people in our schools, the people we sit next to, our families, 
And we watch as God stirs up a movement that we have yet to see before. God is on the move and he invites you and me to be part of it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the students that are here. God, I thank you for, God, as we kick this year off, as, as we've been talking about where we're going and, and more importantly, where we feel like you're going. God, thank you that you are moving. God, thank you that you are working. Thank you that you never stop. And God, that you loved us enough that you sent your son on a rescue mission to jump into our mess, to jump into our world, and to bring about freedom and forgiveness and hope. God, I pray for the students who are in the room tonight, and I know they're here, who right now in this moment, they doubt your existence. Or the idea of you being real or being in their life or being on their move is just some foreign concept or idea. And maybe they've, for whatever reason, they've written you off and they've thought that you don't exist. God, I pray that you would show up in an incredible way in their life. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. God, I pray that you would show these guys and these ladies that you are on the move, that you are a God who loves us, who created us, who came to rescue us, that you have unfailing love for us. God, I pray for all of us this year, God, that we would no longer be content with just playing the game. God, I pray that students, we would no longer be okay with just having a reputation of being students who go through the motions. God, I pray that we would get serious about our faith like we never have before. God, I pray that you would stir up an awakening in our hearts, God, that we would not be content with being apathetic or just playing the game or going through the motions, but God, that you would stir up a passion and a desire to know you like never before. 